and welcome again to the Animal Friendly Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing a topic that doesn't always get a lot of attention from humans, even though it is of vital importance to the animals involved, and that is ethical farming. My guest is Caroline Rowley, Director of the Farm Animals Advocacy Group, Ethical Farming Ireland. So I guess the first thing that we'll talk about is actually what is ethical farming? I suppose people have different interpretations, but you know, from my point of view, ethical farming would be um, farming systems that are, that are high welfare, um, where the animals can live as natural a life as possible, um, where they can actually carry out all their natural behaviours, and also farming systems that aren't um, detrimental to the environment, like you know, regenerative agriculture, uh, silvopasture, you know, mixing um, agroforestry, you know, where you have cattle and forestry working together, that kind of thing. So it's just a kind of fairer system to the planet and to the animals. There's a farmer that I follow on social media, Clive Bright in Sligo. He's currently planting trees and implementing agroforestry. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, mixed farm systems as well. I I have a a friend and a neighbour and um, they have a small farm, um, maybe um, seven or eight um, cattle. They have some sheep, a couple of pigs, you know, some poultry and a lot of forestry. (laughs) You know, they do everything. And um, that's that's one thing with the the dairy industry. It's, it's, It's just so unnatural now. It's so far removed from how it would have been you know, a hundred years ago, um, you know, the, the cow-calf separation is is a huge issue. And, you know, there's nothing more unnatural than stealing, you know, the baby away from the mother as, as soon as he's born, um, which happens. It's called snatch calving because they snatch the calf away and um, it can be within hours of birth. And um, the, the, um, the meaning behind this that's, that's given out by the farming industry is that it's, it's, it's kinder to the mother. Um, you know, she'll think that she's given birth to a, a stillborn calf, so she won't know. I don't know if you've heard of the ethical dairy in Scotland and that they've moved to a calf foot dairy system this where the calf, calf stays with system. cows. You'll hear us mention this calf at foot system a few times. And it's simply a dairy farming system where the calf is kept with its mother until it's old enough to wean naturally. Instead of the calf being taken away at a few hours or a few days old, the calf and the mother stay together. The calf gets the milk that it needs and humans get the rest. And um, it's it's not easy, it's hard work. Um, Obviously um, there's less milk. So so what they tend to do is they they rear the calf, the male calf's beef. So, so it's a beef and dairy combined so that they can get money from both. But the, the, the man behind the ethical dairy in Scotland, he was interviewed on, um, on a BBC programme a couple of years ago. And he actually started crying when he was talking about the, the reaction of the cows when the calves are taken away. He said that the calves don't really know any better. But the, but the cows, obviously, you know, they the spent nine do. months being pregnant like humans are. They've given birth to a baby and there's no baby there. And sometimes... They can bellow for days and days and days. And there's a small dairy farm up the road for me and I hear them bellowing for days. Like they're looking for their calf. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, and, um, and it doesn't have, there is a better way of doing it. You know, you can leave the calf with the mother. It, it, as I said, it is difficult to get a system that works, but, it, but it's growing in popularity. There are a number of um, calf at foot dairy farms in Europe now, in the Netherlands, Germany, and there's quite a few in the UK. And um, there's, there's just so much milk. And also the crazy thing is when you take the calf away, the calf has to be fed. It still has to be fed milk. 
even colostrum, they don't even get the colostrum from their mother. So they they might get the milk from um, from a cow that's um, not producing good quality milk, something like that, or from an old cow, or or they buy milk powder, milk replacer. So you know, it's you know, it'd be a lot easier just to leave the calf with the mother and let the mother with do all the, the work. Yeah, now there are claims that dairy cows make terrible mothers because it's been bred out of them, which is absolute nonsense. I yeah. heard some farmer talking about this on a podcast and he was saying, oh, yeah. it's, you know, we take them away because sometimes they'll trample on them or they won't know what to do. And it's exactly what you said. If you have mm. generations of calves being taken away and mm. I think it's in the book, The Secret Life of Cows, she talks about how the other cows teach each other how to yeah. and the mothers yeah. and the grandmothers teach each other. Yeah. No, also, I don't know how true that is either. Like the if I suppose the second calf maybe yeah because the first time they've given birth they've not had anything there so they don't know what to do but I mean there have been cases where you know dairy cows get rescued they have calves and they look after them and the calf at foot farms you know the the dairy cows manage perfectly well they're perfectly good mothers and it's the same breed of cow that is used in the commercial standard farms as the calf at foot farms it's not a you know special breed so you know, I, I, I just don't, I just don't think that's true that they don't know how to be mothers. You know, it's not it's, a rational um, argument. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they do, they can get aggressive, you know, if, if the farmer comes in, because they know <laughs> they're just protecting their calf. So um, it is, it, it's terribly cruel and it's terribly unfair. And then, of course, there's all these unwanted cal male calves that people don't know what to do with. So one of your main campaigns is against live export. Well, it's actually the reason why I got um, involved in this in the first place in farm animal welfare was because I discovered something online about live export. I didn't know that it was still going on in this day and age. I just assumed that nothing so horrific would be happening. And, you know, basically it is, it is what it says. Animals are exported live all around the world, normally in trucks or, or ships. Some uh, higher quality animals might be flown somewhere for breeding, you know, like pigs have been flown to China and Russia and places like that. But normally there's there's two main outlets. There's the dedicated livestock vessels that would carry the adult cattle to places like North Africa and the Middle East. And then you have the trucks that go out on the ferries. They go to France and then they go, go off to whatever destination from there. The two main areas of concern that, that I have are the um, hundreds and thousands of unweaned calves that are exported every year. Obviously, to produce milk, a cow um, has to produce a calf, and around half of the calves born are male. So the, the females are normally kept to replace the, you know, the spent cows when they're end of career, as, as it's called. So they, they replace the, the cows when they're not no longer profitable enough, and but the males... Um, the breeds that are used that are good for milk aren't so good for beef. They are reared for beef, but they, you know, people don't really want them. They're not so profitable. So a lot of them get exported to field farms, in, mainly in the Netherlands. And how old are these calves when they're being, what, yeah. what age would well, they be? They, they, they can't be moved off the farm until they're 10 days old. The, the European the minimum age for export is 14 days, but in Ireland, because we have such high standards, it's 15 days. So they're normally between 15 and 21 days old. Some of them go directly from the farm. Some exporters will, they'll, they'll buy in calves at 10 days old, whether they'll keep them on their farm for a week and um, then they'll export them directly from their premises. 
but a lot of the calves go through a mart and um, yes. in March um, MEP Annie Hazekamp came over with Leslie Moffat, she's the director of it, um, Eyes on Animals, I work a lot with them. They, they came over, we conducted an investigation, we went and visited some marts and absolutely appalling. A lot of the calves that are there are only 10 days old, they're tiny, they're like the size of a dog. They're just, when you see them up close in the mart, they're so small and the marts are really noisy, stressful places. Um, and these calves, they're in these crammed in these pens. Like some of the pens are so crowded, there's no room to lay down, there's no straw. Some of them have bedding, some of them don't. And then one mart did have water, but another mart we went to, there was no water in the pens. And these calves were there all day. They were there from the morning and some of them were still there at seven in the evening, no food no water all day and some of them only 10 days old it was absolutely shocking i'm putting a link to the report of this investigation in the show notes for anyone who'd like to read more ethical farming ireland encouraged people to write to their tds and meps to express their grievances about the conditions that are exposed in these kind of investigations if you do write much of the time you'll get a reply assuring you that there are strict animal welfare guidelines and you'll get links to these governmental documents. But Caroline feels these standards leave a lot to be desired. And of course, the point that you're making is these standards are not being enforced. No, no, they're not. And, you know, and, I, and I don't think the standards are good enough either. When, when you look at the reality of the situation, I mean, 10 days old is too young to be at a mart. And the other thing is like they, the way it works, it was, it was the first time I've been to a mart, so it's quite an eye opener. Um, so it's very noisy. There's all this shouting and banging and lots of noise going on. And the calves, they normally go like a few at a time in the ring and people bid on them. And so when they're going in and out the ring, they're so confused. They don't know what they're meant to be doing. They're already exhausted. And there were some, um, they looked like teenagers at the one in Bandon and um, had this like sock whip like thing. I don't know what it was, this lad. And he was like, hitting the calves around the face around the backside with them and there's a young girl pulling up the tails backwards trying to get them to go where they're meant to be going and they're just running around not having a clue what's going on these they're just so stressed and it was just really rough treatment and it was just horrible to see and in, in Bandon the calves um we asked the, the manager there if if the calves are going to be fed that evening because the mark was on in the evening and he said no they'll all be going back to the farm or to you know to whoever's bought them but we went back in the morning and the first thing that hit us when we got there was the sound of bawling calves. It was so loud. Um, so they'd been there overnight and there was a livestock truck there getting ready to load them up for export because it was um, it was a Thursday, which was um, the day that the, the ferry goes out from Rosslare. So they did stay there overnight and we spoke to a mark manager and um, they were just getting the, 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 the milk placer ready to feed the calves. It was around half 10 in the morning when we were there and um, they were just starting to feed them. So some of those calves, that was like 22 hours with no feed. But the guy said, because we pointed out that the ferry doesn't leave until nine in the evening. So the, the, the mark manager said, oh, those calves will be fed later, which means they could have gone longer than 24 hours without any feed. And that's just going to the mark. That's before any export journey started. So the, the calves that we observed, they were loaded at around half two. And I think they were probably fed around 12 o'clock, maybe. So that's 24 hours without any feed. So they've got one feed at the mart. They're loaded up onto the truck. There's around 300 calves normally on each truck. And they're over three tiers. So they've got no headroom. They're very cramped, barely have room to lie down. 
So, um, so they were loaded at about half twos, these 300 calves. And um, then we followed the truck to Rosslea Airport, um, and it took about three and a half hours to get to the port from Bandon. And the, the ferry, um, so they got there about seven o'clock and then the ferry leaves at nine. It takes 18 hours to get to France. Once they get to the control post in France, so like you're adding up the hours here, it's, it's getting over 24 hours again without any feed. Um, they can't be fed on the ferry. They can't be they fed on the truck. No, because yeah. they have to be fed milk. And, then, and this is a sticking point that I've had with the EU Commission when I've complained about this because they're saying, oh, we're not providing proof that the calves aren't fed. No one's claiming that they're fed. They can't be fed. It's not possible because they have to be fed individually because they're dependent on milk. Right. You can't feed 300 calves in a truck. I mean, the driver can't even get to the calves yeah. because they're on these different tiers. So it's just not possible to feed them. You can't put it in the water system because that would just soon be disgusting. And also, <clears throat> how do you know how much milk a calf's getting? The calves don't really know what to do with these water systems that are in there. Like they have these, they're meant to have these rubber teats on the, on, on the water dispenser that's it's kind of parallel with the side of the truck that it's really hard for them to get to. Um, <clears throat> and then when they get to the control post in Cherbourg, that's it's about an hour from the ferry port. And there's two control posts and they can take around 5,000 calves between them. So there's two control posts. So one has like 3,000, one has 2,000. You've got 3,000 calves turning up all at the same time. They're not all going to be fed at the same time. It's absolute chaos. Eyes on Animals and a French group, L214, have done undercover investigations and they've got cameras in these control posts. And so I've seen footage of the calves arriving and it's absolute chaos. They're just, they're desperately hungry, they're exhausted, they're stressed, they're just desperate for food and they're all trying to get to the feeding station. So the workers get really impatient with them and they hit them out the way and they're stamping on it all kinds. It's absolutely horrific. The first investigation actually ended up in prime time and there was much outrage amongst the department and whatnot, but then nothing happened. happened. No, no. One of the guys did get prosecuted, but the manager didn't. And the manager was there watching. And there right. were other workers there watching yeah. and only one man got prosecuted for it. The following year, they got cameras in the second control post and it wasn't quite as brutal, but it was still really rough treatment of the calves. Yeah. You know, why isn't there CCTV cameras why in there? Why isn't there all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Why, yeah, why yeah, is it yeah. dependent on these investigations? Yeah. And I think you posted that it would be an, an impossible coincidence that the only time there's rough yeah. treatment is when the cameras are on them. Yeah. 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 Because, of course, yeah. the department tried to claim it's an isolated incident. That's, blah, blah. that's not it's really just, not plausible. Yeah. yeah no. Mm. And I've, I have been told by um, someone in the industry that the, the drivers aren't allowed into the, into the building. I don't know why, but they, they, the, the drivers aren't allowed in, so they don't even see what's going on. And um, I've also been told that the milk is very poor quality, which I can well believe because they're trying to save money. So these calves aren't getting enough nutrition at all. And some of them have to wait five or six hours for their turn at the feeding station. So now you're going into over 30 hours without any feed. And they're already in a weakened state from being at the mart for so long and only getting one feed in 24 hours before the journey even started. You would think that the, the death rate would be really high. It's actually quite low because they, you know, they, they are quite robust. They can keep going, mm -hmm. but we don't know when they get to the veal farm, 
what's the mortality rate there? Because some of them, it can take days and days and days to recover and some of them don't recover. Just because they don't actually die during the journey, first of all, it doesn't mean they're not suffering appallingly. And who knows how long they're going to last afterwards. And the other thing is, there's no record kept of mortality. The department doesn't record how many animals die. Each truck that goes out has to have a journey log that details the journey plan. And then as the journey goes on, it's, it's filled in at each stage as you go along. All sounds great on paper. And um, they put in how many animals arrive fit, how many die, that kind of thing. Any kind of irregularities, cause of death. But I've obtained hundreds of these journey logs through the Freedom of Information request. And I would say um, 80% of them aren't filled in properly. Sections, sections like how many animals blank. died it's blank it's blank and also the loading time isn't put on um so we don't know exactly we can work it out from where they've come from but they're meant to put in the date and the time that they were loaded because the clock starts ticking as soon as the first animal is loaded because they, right. you know, there are rules around how long they're allowed to be on the trucks for but so many of them don't have the loading time it's just like these regulations they're just not being adhered to like in in Ireland as well as the EU um so all these claims about highly regulated industry just aren't true because you know I've I've seen the paperwork and it's just shop shoddy and also quite often the journey log isn't even returned to the department so yeah and you filed complaints and I mean I know I know you've done these investigations over years you've been filing complaints and nothing no, no. And before Ethical Farming Ireland, other groups, Compassion World Farming, Animals Angels, Eyes on Animals, they've been complaining for years and years to the Commission. And the Commission does nothing about it. Ethical Farming Ireland and other groups are not alone in being ignored. In September 2021, a landmark tribunal in Northern Ireland awarded £1.25 million to Dr Tamara Brunkers, a veterinarian. She had worked for the Department of Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs and had tried for many years to highlight breaches of animal welfare, efforts that were continually ignored and suppressed. The tribunal judge said Dr Brunkers had been professionally ignored, undermined and excluded. He described the chief vet's actions towards her as intimidation, patronising, belittling and dismissive of her as a professional. I've included a link in the show notes. It's an interesting read. Anyway, back to the ferry journeys. I attended a protest against live export in Ross Lair, and here we witness trucks full of calves being driven down to the ferry. Caroline says that she gets videos from people on the ferries, people who are just going on their holidays and they film these truckloads of crying calves and send her the videos with messages like, is this normal? The answer, sadly, is yes. And it looks set to continue. In January 2022, a number of Irish MEPs voted against recommendations put forward by a special committee which had gathered the information over 18 months. Caroline describes some particulars of the discussion and voting around these recommendations. That, that uh, was over 18 month period yeah. and they had so many um, expert witnesses from all different sectors, um, from the industry as well. They had loads of different things. I spoke at one of them as well. Um, and they had people from the Department of Agriculture speaking. One of the main exporters spoke and 
what was absolutely shocking to me was the person from the Department of Agriculture. I don't know if you should name his name, but I won't. Um, in case, um, and the and, and one of the main main exporters, they said things that were just completely untrue. So they stood there in European Parliament and made statements that were completely untrue. Like the guy from the Department of Agriculture said that vets um, often travel with the trucks, with the calves, and they've even gone down as far as farms in Spain. Well, I put in, I put in a requested freedom of information request to ask for copies of the reports from these trips that these, these vets went on down to these farms in Spain. It didn't happen. Once in 2018, a vet traveled with an Irish ferries um, boat to Cherbourg, and once in 2019, a vet went to um, from Rosler to Cherbourg. On both occasions, the vet only went as far as the port. He didn't even go to the control post. He didn't observe the vets unloading, uh, the calves unloading from the trucks. He didn't observe them being fed. So what was what was the point of it? You know. And the, and the fact that someone from the Department of Agriculture can stand there and just buy about that was absolutely shocking. And then the, the guy who the, the main exporter, who's um, he said, first of all, he said that um, he'd set up this welfare group, which I have heard about, and that um, you couldn't book um, a place on Stena Ferries unless you were part of this group. I mean, I checked with Stena Line. I have a contact there and that's just not true. And then he also said that they have this slow release feed that keeps calves um, satisfied for 17 hours. Again, I've looked into this. I've got in touch with vets and people in the industry. There's no such feed that's going to keep a calf um, yeah. satiated for 17 hours. 12 is the maximum. You know? Yeah. And even then, 17 hours, they're going more like 24, 30 hours with no feed. So but it's not even true. You know, it's just it's very frustrating. That's that, and that's what I'm facing. <laughs> what was frustrating with the ANIC committee is that they did come up with all these good recommendations: a complete ban on the export of unweaned calves, um, a ban on the export of pregnant cows in their third um, trimester, because they can be exported when you know they're they're very heavily pregnant and they do give birth on the way. You know. Um, and they wanted to ban um, sea journeys and export outside the EU. Sea journeys more than 24 hours, which would basically be then to these shipments to Libya and um, Turkey and whatnot. But um, we ended up with this watered down version. It was incredibly frustrating because it, in December, I was like, yes, this is groundbreaking. This is incredible. It's going to happen. And then in January, I was like, oh, what a wasted opportunity. You know, when, when the MEPs actually voted, but it's not the end, you know, we don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, so I'm, I've not given up all hope. Fiona O'Connell wrote a terrific article in The Independent on the hypocrisy of welcoming refugees from war, while at the same time shipping our animals off to war zones. I quote, Recently I was at Rosler Port, where a reception area has been set up for Ukrainians. Their plight has moved many Irish politicians, including Billy Kelleher, who visited Ukraine last month. Entering an active war zone is something I never thought I would be doing, brave Billy said. And then she goes on to say, What does the former Fianna Fáil TD, who has declared earnings of approximately 240000 a year from farming, think of the practice of sending cattle of only a few months old to war-torn Libya? where there is also a feed and water shortage. She describes some of the awful conditions that the calves endure and then goes on to finish, 
It seems that none of that bothers Billy and fellow Irish MEPs, and she names seven others. Earlier this year, they voted against a ban on the export of animals to countries outside the EU, against limiting sea journeys to 24 hours, and against a ban on the export of unweaned calves. This despite the democratic findings shared by the EU Commission this month that reveals 94% of people want a ban on EU live exports. But with powerful lobby groups influencing MEPs, don't hold your breath that Billy and other highly paid colleagues will heed those calls. Caroline and I discussed the perils of such sea journeys. The sea journeys, um, they used to go to Turkey and Libya. Nothing's gone to Turkey for a couple of years because they're just not, they've stopped importing right. cattle. So most of the sea journeys go to Libya. So that's 10 days at sea in this hideous vessel that was built in the 70s or the 80s. They all converted car transporters or, you know, that kind of thing. And the, the Celtic Sea and the Bay of Biscay are new, notorious for being really rough and choppy um, and stormy. So these animals, they're normally young bulls um, and they're getting smaller and smaller, it seems. Um, so some of them are only four or five months old. And they're immediately hit with these rough seas, high waves, strong winds. Um, and these vessels, they're, they're quite small, so they rock about more. And they're not meant to leave if there's winds of gale four six or above predicted. They nearly always hit winds of gale four six. Like, can you imagine being on those boats? And especially for an animal that's come from a green field, and all of a sudden they're in this dark, smelly, horrible... Stuck in there, and all their manure yeah. and everything, yeah, and you've got yeah, ammonia yeah. fumes and heat. Yeah. Um, the water's desalinated in the vessel, so it must be warm and salty and horrible. Respiratory illness is, is a big problem. The mortality rate is surprisingly low. Um, it's around three or, three or four per shipment normally, but there's a lot of injuries. And I've injuries. noticed as well that the injuries aren't logged a lot of the time because I always get the paperwork uh, back after sea journey through the Freedom of Information Act. One time a vet travelled as a vet's meant to travel with the shipments as part of the programme right. for government, but that's not happening. A vet can't go to Libya. The Department of Foreign Affairs says you can't go to Libya, it's too dangerous. So no employer can ask an employee to go to Libya. It's just it's just not allowed. Um, this time when a vet had travelled with them, I asked for a copy of the report for, from the vet. And he referenced a sick, vet, a sick pen and how the animals were well looked after and treated well in the sick pen. But then when I looked at the document that's filled in by the captain of the vessel, there was no reference to any sick or injured animals at all. There's not one. Where where are the sick animals that were being looked after so well? You know, who's who's lying here? You know? Yeah. I suspect it was the captain of the vessel mm. just couldn't be bothered because quite often there's there's no sick animals listed. But um a shipment to Jordan in March, there were 41 sick or injured animals yet. And it's all leg injury and respiratory illness. The the cause when animals die, the cause of death is normally listed as respiratory illness but there's there's no vet on board so I mean these guys the, the crew um, they have a rudimentary training and English isn't their first language so quite often you see things like um, cause of death tired. I read a quote in an article from Captain Samson Rathor so he's the senior marine risk consultant with Allianz and he was talking about these ships and how they are old and they tend to be um, lost or, or sunk or grounded yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. twice as often as normal ships and yeah. he said livestock shipping also has a human resource problem because crews working on livestock carriers 
might have little, if any, training or experience in livestock management before joining their first livestock ship. Yeah. So there's no vet, there's no, no. animal expert on board. There's no. just these people who no. have no experience. Another thing in that article actually was interesting. They were saying during heavy weather, animals can get distressed and move together to one side, which can potentially list the vessel. So we're talking about danger to yeah. the crew yeah. as well. Yeah. That did happen, didn't it, a couple of years ago? The, there was a one going from New Zealand to China and it had, I think it's about 10,000 pregnant dairy cows were on board. And um, that hit a storm and um, it capsized and all the 41 crew members died. One survived and then all the all the cows drowned as well. Absolutely shocking. I mean, that's yeah. why we have people saying this industry is mm. um, outdated. It's archaic. Yeah. It should be. Yeah. And we're still doing it. What was there was yes, a, yes, another yeah. quote there? Mm. Oh, yes. Professor Kristen Stilt, director of Harvard's Animal Law and Policy Program. It's time for an open and honest assessment of an industry that has caused one crisis after another. That's what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, yeah. The transport of chilled and frozen meat is the way that nearly all meat travels in commerce today. So the mm. idea of sending live animals is a holdover from a bygone era. Yeah. So really, yeah. we're being very old fashioned in Irish. We are. Yeah. If we're, yeah. <laughs> if we're still using live we transport. Are. We are. Let's mm. move on to pig farming because <laughs> I was so happy when yeah. I saw that you had links to you know ethical pig yeah. farms and yeah. you see the mm. photos and you can visit these farms and mm. you can see mm. the pigs running around outside because yeah. that's not the reality for most mm. pigs is no, it no 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 it's not at all not at all yeah I, I could talk about live export all day but um yeah <laughs> we should move on to, to um to, yeah and I do I, I on the social media I, I do tend to get bogged down in the negativity but I, I do try and have some positive posts as well like because there are some decent farms out there I started the pig campaign um well it was a collaboration with uh, my lovely pig rescue we kind of met up last year and um there was an ex-pig farmer involved as well at the start of it but she had to drop out for various reasons and I suppose the large part of it is just to highlight the awful existence that pigs and Ireland have to endure because Again, it's the image that's pushed out by the industry, that's pushed out by the government. Everything's high welfare. It's strictly regulated. And if you think about it, where are all these? There's 1.6 million pigs in Ireland. Where are they? I remember as a child in the UK driving through the countryside and seeing all those little metal corrugated huts with pigs in the field. And I've never seen a pig in Ireland other than when I've specifically gone to visit a free range farm. You know, they're all hidden. You often see yeah. photographs of pigs. Yeah. I think it was you said that um, Board B and Tagus, they always use yeah. photographs of pigs outside. But, I mean, pigs, they're intelligent, they're inquisitive. Um, their natural habitat is woodland. You know, they'd be digging and foraging and, you know, having a great old time looking for food and roots and grubs and stuff. And they spend their whole short life in a barren pen on slatted flooring. They've got nothing to do. They're bored. They're frustrated. They go out of their mind with, you know, just there's nothing to do. Just day in, day out. That's why they can get aggressive and they can bite the ears and the tails. And that's why, despite it being um, against the law, nearly every commercial pig in Ireland has a docked tail. They're docked um, a few days old. They have their teeth clipped and their tails cut off. The Legislation states that tail docking should be a last resort when all other factors have been taken into consideration, like environment, 
and stuff like that. So obviously that's not the case. You know, they're being routinely docked when they're a few days old. And Tagish are actually undertaking research into how to, um, you know, into tail biting and how to minimise tail biting. And it's glaringly obvious. You know, if you talk to any proper pig farmer, it's glaringly obvious. You know, you give them space, give them materials like straw, like spent compost, um, lumps of wood, not commercial wood, like natural wood. Give them things so they can be stimulated and you know they're not going out of their mind with boredom and then it doesn't happen there's countries in Europe they're not allowed to have fully slatted flooring pens part of the pen floor has to have straw bedding and stuff like that and surprise surprise tail biting incidences are far far less common they don't have to dock the pig's tails because you just give them something to do and they're not going to fight you compared um, in the campaign, in the posters, you compared it to lockdown. Give humans two yeah. years of lockdown yeah. and we were all yeah. biting each other's tails. Yeah. 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 They're in cement boxes. No wonder yeah. they're going yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah, free range pig farms don't have a problem with, with tail biting. Yeah. I mean, I do understand that on a commercial level, it might not be practical for all pig farms to be free range. But you can have indoor systems that are far, far better there was an audit in um, 2020, an EU audit um, on pigs and poultry farms in Ireland. And um, they found that stocking density is exceeded on most farms. And the, the legislation is bad enough. And even yeah. that isn't being adhered to. There are too many pigs. They're crammed in this small space. But you can have good indoor systems where there are bales of straw, lots of straw around for them to root around in. Like legally, you have to provide the pigs with enrichment and people's interpretation of enrichment is quite extraordinary. A lump of wood on a chain is very common. That's meant to keep the pigs occupied. A lump of wood on a chain in the pen. That keeps them busy for about half a second. And funny enough, like board beer, because everything's board beer approved in Ireland. That's no welfare standard at all. It means nothing when it comes to welfare. But board beer's own standards, I mean, they basically reflect what's in the EU legislation. But they specifically state when it, around enrichment that a piece of wood on a chain is not sufficient. Yet, at the best, that is what pigs have in Ireland. Yet, every pork produce is, all of it is board beer approved. These farms do not meet their standards. So, you know, that label is just absolutely meaningless. Hmm? I'm just hearing again hmm. and again, we have these standards and, and you, do, you do get this. If you dare to make a complaint to a TD or to an MEP mm. or to anyone, they say, oh, but look, we have these fantastic standards and they're the yeah. best in Europe. Yeah. yeah. And you go, but what if nobody is doing them? Yeah. I have, a, I have a petition it. going um, at the moment to, to the part of the pig campaign. And all I'm asking in the petition is that the regulations are actually enforced. All I'm asking for, <laughs> you know, and um, that's, that's the first step. Um, because the other thing we have as well, because of these appalling and cramped conditions that these animals are raised in, they're given huge amounts of antibiotics to keep them alive till slaughter rate. I think most people are aware that there's a real problem with um, antimicrobial resistance because of the overuse of antibiotic. Regulations came in in January. It's meant to be restricting the use of antibiotics and the prescription of them. And they'd have to be prescribed by vets only. And you can't just buy them over the counter and stuff like that. So it's becoming far more stringent because of the crisis that we're hitting. 
you know, antibiotics are going to be useless in a few years and we millions and millions of people are going to die as a consequence. So I did write to the minister asking what, what he's going to do about this problem, because if you suddenly stop giving these animals antibiotics, they're just going to be really sick because of the conditions that they're reared in. And of course, I didn't get any response. And now what they've done is they keep extending the, the deadline. It was meant to be January and is it was extended till June and now they've extended it till next year, I think. So basically, it's the same as the tail docking. They're just ignoring the legislation. And this is one thing you see with high with actual high welfare farms farms that have their animals outside, their use of medicine goes way down because the animals are healthy. And so it is, it's the, it's the conditions that these animals yeah. are being kept in is yeah. necessitating mm. antibiotic use. So you've yeah. got that horrible, yeah. vicious circle. Yeah. I asked Caroline what points she'd like people to take away from their campaigns and other work. Just, just be informed about where, where your food comes from, you know, especially industries like the pig industry that's so hidden and all the packaging has these false images of a lovely field that the pigs never set eyes on. And it's just, people just don't know the reality yeah. behind it. Sow stalls, absolutely horrific. They look medieval. The poor sow, she can't, you know, all she can do is stand up and lay down. She can't turn around. She can't do anything. That, she can't get away from her piglets and um, and she can't tend to them if, if there's one in trouble. And the piglet, the, the point of them is to stop piglet crushing but it doesn't actually stop it. It still happens Um, because the sows have been selectively bred to have these large litters. They have so many piglets, you know, like a a free range traditional breed pig would have around eight piglets, but in a factory farm, they can have 15, 16. So they're smaller, they're weaker. They're weaned um, when they're three or four weeks old and naturally it would be like three months old, something like that. So they're prematurely weaned as well. So they're routinely given antibiotics. This is one of the big usages of antibiotics. Otherwise, they're just going to die. You know, they have to have antibiotics to be kept alive because they're weaned prematurely. And these poor sows, and then they're out of the cage for a couple of months and they're back in there again, you know, for, I don't know, a few years. And then they're spent. Absolutely horrific. And they, you can see in their eyes from the footage that I've seen, just like the sheer desperation. All they can do, they chew the bars of the cage. I've just... Well, what any of us would awful. do if we're yeah. Yeah. kept in a cage for mm-hmm. years. Although I have end. seen some crates have a chain with a bit of rubber or wood on it. Oh, do they have the bit of wood? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I thought they yeah. were being cruel. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> we moved on to talking about climate concerns. I mentioned Laura Kiho, an environmental researcher who tries to highlight the fact that much of the feed imported for Irish animals drives deforestation and biodiversity loss in other parts of the world. For those of you who think that all Irish farm animals only eat lush green grass, think again. We generally import 3.5 million tonnes of feed ingredients from across the world on an annual basis. This was described well in a recent article by Claire McCormack in the Farming Independent, titled Ireland has imported 98,000 tonnes of animal feed ingredients from Russia this year. I asked Caroline about that. Yeah, even even cattle, beef cattle, um, they're quite often brought inside to feedlots to be finished before slaughter, to be, so they bulk out and they're given imported feed. And dairy dairy cows need a lot more um, food because they're producing so so much milk. They need a lot more energy, so you know they're given extra feed as well. They're not they're not just grass fed. And of course, pigs and poultry huge amounts of imported feed in those sectors as well 
So that's a huge environmental impact. And then there's all the waste as well. The all the waterways are getting polluted, and soil degradation from overfeeding of nitrogen. I mean, what what happens to all the waste from these 1.6 million pigs? It ends up in our waterways, particularly around Cork, is, is very bad, and that's where the bulk of the dairy farms are. Um, and like the third of our emissions, over a third of our emissions, are from animal agriculture, and we're um, exceeding our targets every year and getting fined every year by the EU. And then if you dare to mention reduce the herd, there's outcry about attacking rural Ireland. It's absurd, mm. really. You know, with less animals with higher value, people would be making the same amount of money. It's just, it's just a different way of doing things. And, and like the really sad thing is that there is farmers who want to do this, who are desperate to move mm. into regenerative mm. agriculture. Mm. If you go to these conferences, there might be a few farmers like Clive Bright who are doing it really well. Mm. And they're absolutely swarmed by other farmers who want to learn yeah. and yeah. say, how do you do this? And that's mm. that's his model that just reminded yeah. me, you mm. know, fewer cattle, much higher yeah. value. As he said, he's, it's an easier life for him. He's not working as yeah. hard. He takes yeah. holidays. He's enjoying yeah. being a farmer instead of struggling. Yeah, I was um, contacted recently by a, a farmer in court, who, a dairy farmer, who is moving to a calf at foot system. Now, they're not going public yet, but they already are keeping the calves with the mother. And yeah, they wanted me to, to share a survey just to get a feel for public's opinion, because obviously... The milk from a calf foot dairy is going to be a lot more expensive from a conventional dairy, which, I mean, when you look at the generic milk in Tesco's, I mean, it's sold under cost anyway. It's just so cheap, it's ridiculous. But anyway, so I, I shared this survey on the Regenerative Farm 9 page on Facebook. And uh, actually, I've had two other farmers contact me saying that they're really interested in switching to a calf foot system. They, you know, they, they want me to put them in touch with this other farm and, and they want to know how the survey goes. So there are farms out there who want to change. And I was, I was delighted to hear that. That's something that I really want to see. Part of what Ethical Farming Ireland is, is trying to do is inform the public of the reality behind animal agriculture. And where I can, I try and point people in the direction of what might be higher welfare. Because so many people just don't know. I mean, because you just don't, like, you're just grown up with all these things. These, you're conditioned into thinking this is all normal and great. So, you know, a lot of people just don't think about it. So really, my main goal is to raise awareness so people can be informed about how food is produced and then they can decide what they want to eat and what they don't want to eat. Like, so it takes me so long just to write an email or whatever. Like, I can't imagine if you're trying to write an official letter of complaint or a joint letter or it's just so time consuming. It is very time consuming. Yeah, just a huge admirer of your work (laughs) and your patience. I'm glad somebody is doing it. There's not enough good things I can say about you. I don't want to make you blush. So. <laughs> <laughs> you really look really red on this guy. <laughs> I left Caroline to get on with her work and I got on with editing this episode. Noteworthy.ie is an Irish journalism platform that uses crowdfunding for particular issues that people would like to see investigated. They have reached their funding goals for two stories one on the welfare concerns in the live export trade and one on factory farming, which means that noteworthy journalists will now be taking a deep dive into these subjects and I'm really looking forward to their articles. Ethical Farming Ireland have a list of high welfare farms on their website, so that's definitely worth a look. Remember, 
the more support those farms get, the easier it is for other farmers to follow their lead. Well, I know this was quite a serious topic, but it's an important one. So thank you for sticking with it. That's it for now. See you next time.